Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. My name is Melinda. I'm one of the pastors here at Northeast, and I am so excited and honored to get to hang out with you this morning. As Jason mentioned, we are in week four of a sermon series called Let's Talk About Mental Health. And if you've missed any of the first three um, installments in this series, I want to encourage you to go back and listen. Promise it will be worth your time and will add value to your week. Today, we're going to shift our conversation just a little bit to talk about some ways that every single one of us can be proactive when it comes to caring for our emotional health. And I am excited to dig into this with you. But first, I just want to ask you to bow your heads and just go to God in a word of prayer with me. God, thank you for just the opportunity to gather together today. God, as we just heard in this song, uh, we are listening and we just ask over these next few minutes that you will speak and that your wisdom and your words and your guidance for our lives will be heard above all the other noise in our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to start our conversation by looking at the life of Elijah in Scripture. Elijah was a prophet. He was a man of God. He was someone who was entrusted with a lot of leadership responsibility. And what I love about Elijah's story for our conversation today is his story is probably one of the most prominent in Scripture that allows us to see a biblical leader dealing with some mental health challenge. And so his story is so appropriate for our time together today. Elijah is going through a season of his life where he has been in a drought for almost four years. And while you and I will likely never experience a season in our lives that lasts for four years without rain and without water, there is a very good chance that many of us will reach a point where God feels a little further away than we'd like for him to. Or perhaps you reach a point where you wonder and you question if you have been completely abandoned by God. And I know that some of you are sitting here feeling that way right now. And so I know that you have just a glimpse of what Elijah was feeling. He is feeling exhausted. He is physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted. He is completely depleted. And he, has sure, he is sure that he has nothing left to give. And what happens to Elijah is what happens to many of us when we reach this point in our lives where we are tired and we have nothing left to give is we fall. And that's what happens to Elijah. He makes a decision in his leadership realm that um, ends up being a pretty big mistake. And the mistake that he makes results in some lives being lost. And he realizes the impact that his decision has made and the impact on his life is one that causes him to want to just run away from everything. I'm going to read to you just one verse in 1 Kings of Elijah's story in chapter 19. And it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now, I don't read the message translation very often. I know some of you do. But when I saw the message version, I wanted to share this one as well. Because here's what it says. It said, when Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life. 
Now, I think there's a chance that some of us today have had a moment in our lives where we see how things are and we kind of want to run for dear life. Elijah, Elijah reaches this point where he is confident that running away is better than facing the darkness he's feeling in that moment. He is confident that running away from everything is the best choice for his life because he can't face this battle one more day. He is confident that running away for dear life might be a little easier than owning the mistakes that he's made and facing the consequences of his action. And so what we see is Elijah does step back and he begins to withdraw and retreat from everyone and everything that is familiar to him in any way. But this really cool thing happens because as Elijah begins to step back, he creates room in his life and he gives God permission to help him heal. And it is perhaps our very first example in scripture of someone facing a true mental health crisis. It might not have had that language back then. And I wish that we knew all that was involved in helping Elijah come back to a good place. But God walks with him and God helps him heal in so many different ways. I want to remind you that here at Northeast, we take a holistic approach to getting help for our mental and emotional help. And so I'm not implying that God was all Elijah needed. God was an essential piece of it. And we want to help you realize that essential piece in your life and what that should look like. But I want to make sure I tell you that this isn't the end of Elijah's story. Because as Elijah began to heal and began to become emotionally and mentally healthy, God continued to use him in very impactful ways. So if you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you are facing a mental health challenge right now or you have previously or you do on a very consistent basis, that does not mean that God has in any way disqualified you from very important work for his kingdom. Elijah faced this point in his life where he was exhausted and he wanted to run for dear life. And too many of us have experienced that or we have been very close. Too many of us live lives that are overly busy and overly scheduled. We have added way too much to our plates, and we think that we can do it all. And what that has resulted in is us all living a life of multitasking. We can't do just one thing at a time anymore. We are constantly doing two to three things at one time, and it's just simply not sustainable. We are tired. Many of us feel like we are mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted. And so what do we do when we feel that way? We look forward to the weekends, right? Because the weekends are going to be a break from the chaos. But then, because we're humans, we have overly scheduled our weekends. And we have filled them with activities and commitments that never end. And so the weekend that was supposed to be a break gets to a point where we need a weekend to recover from the weekend. It's completely counterproductive. And yet many of us are stuck in this rhythm and in this cycle that just never ends. Inevitably, when our lives become too busy and too overly scheduled, something will get squeezed out and far too often our time with God is the first thing to go. That has become a reality for too many of us. A Gallup study and poll recently uh, defined very clearly the five most common symptoms of burnout. I want you to ask about your current life as a student, your current job, all the pressure of everything that is weighing down on you right now in this season. And as I read these five symptoms of burnout, I want you to decide for yourself how many of them resonate with you, even just a little bit. Let's read these together. Decreased job performance, 
cynicism about your job, headaches or stomach aches when you think about that thing, a reduced creativity, chronic exhaustion. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself. How many of you would say that three or more of those kind of struck a chord in you that you didn't really expect to pop up? I think too many of us have gotten really close to that point. And I want to suggest that part of the solution to how you might be feeling if you're experiencing any of those things, part of the solution might be a deeper connection with God. I'm not assuming that you don't already have that. I'm just suggesting that it's something that we all have to make sure is a top priority in our lives. Because here's a second list of things. And what this list is, is what happens when God is too far away from us. And I want you to notice how similar this list is to our list of symptoms of burnout. Here's what happens when God is too far away. God feels distant. People we are closest to feel distant. We lose sight of our dreams. We spend our days on the urgent instead of the important. We are always behind playing catch up. We're never done. There's this undercurrent of something that just doesn't feel right and that never goes away. We become easy targets of our temptations. I want to talk about that last one for a couple of minutes. We become easy targets of our temptations. Most of us know that there is no shortage of stories and examples of leaders who have failed. From Hollywood to government leaders to pastors and church leaders around the world, we know that no one is immune to major failure, not one of us. And what I would like to assume about these people who have experienced some type of major failure, whether it was moral, professional, anything in between, I would like to assume that not one of them woke up one day and decided, today is the day. Today's the day I'm going to make a mistake that I will regret for the rest of my life, and I can't wait to go do that. Nobody wakes up thinking that. Elijah did not wake up realizing that that is how his day was going to play out. Yet the harsh reality is that if you and I are not very careful and if we continue to ignore some of these emotionally unhealthy behaviors and activities and rhythms and patterns and this addiction to busy that we have going on in our lives, if we don't start addressing that now and we allow it to continue festering and becoming worse, there is a very good chance that one of us is going to find ourselves at the place of a major failure. Over the last few months, we have been talking through these questions from the youths. And I have loved this part of our service together because if we're honest, it's the same questions the grown-ups have. We're just not willing to ask them. And it has been so refreshing to hear what's going on in the minds and the hearts of our students. And as I was looking over this list of questions this week, trying to decide if there was one that was uh, most pertinent to our conversation, one of them in particular jumped out at me because it stabbed me in the heart. Here's what it said. It said, how can I trust that whoever is in the pulpit lives the life they say they do? And I can only assume that this question comes from a pattern, a pattern of seeing and hearing about leaders who we have looked up to for our whole lives or for a season of our lives, and we see them fall. And for so long in our minds, we have unintentionally put these leaders up on this pedestal because we see them in a position of power, whether it's a pastor, a preacher, an author, a podcaster, whatever it is that they do, however they serve the kingdom of God, we have put them up on a pedestal. They might not have asked to be on this pedestal, but in our minds, they're perfect. We think they're superhuman. We think that they are immune to failure because that's who we're supposed to look to to figure out what to do in life, right? Right? 
But then this thing happens inevitably, and it's that they fall and they mess up. Because amidst our perception of this perfect life that they have, because of the highs and the successes and the highlight reel that we see, all the while, there are also a lot of valleys and disappointments and challenges and frustrations that they are facing. We just don't always see that side, so we don't get it when they make a mistake, and it surprises us. One of the things I have always loved and appreciated and respected about the leadership of Northeast is the the incredible desire to talk about the hard, real things. You don't get to season three of a sermon series about mental health without a true internal desire to help one another figure this out. We're not talking about mental health because we have all the answers or because we see how messed up you guys are and we think we can stand up here and give you all the answers and the solutions. The reason you get to season three of a series about mental health is that we as pastors know how we're feeling right now. And we know that we are emotionally exhausted at times. And we know that there are times in our lives when our lives are busy and spinning out of control because of the pressures we've put on ourselves. So we have to assume that if we're feeling some of these things, if we're facing very real mental health challenges in our lives, it's safe to assume there's someone in our church family who's feeling the exact same way, and that's not something that we can ignore. So if I can offer a response to this question that was sent in, it's probably not the answer that you were hoping for or looking for, but when it comes to trusting the person in the pulpit, can I encourage you to, instead of place your trust in that person, place your trust in God alone? Because if you place all your trust in that person and you expect them to live the life that they say they do, they will disappoint you. I have disappointed some of you because I am not superhuman. I am not perfect. But if you place your trust in God alone, he will never disappoint you. You and I have a responsibility to start figuring out some ways that we can place God at the center and at the priority of everything that we do. Our emotional health is dependent on our ability to make sacrifices and put boundaries in place so that God is at the center of everything that we do. Rich Velotis, a pastor and author, recently said this on social media. He said, had Jesus not pulled his disciples away to rest, they would have either died of exhaustion, quit following him, or ended up addicted to their work. Three very real temptations that we face. Over and over again in scripture, the busier that Jesus' life got, the more in demand he was with all the people, the more he pulled back and the more intentionally he stepped back and retreated to spend time with God. Yet somehow you and I have convinced ourselves that even though Jesus needed all that time, we're sure we don't. We've got it figured out. We're okay. But if Jesus set that example for us, that is the life that we should all be trying to achieve. We've been talking through this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, throughout this series. It's a book by Pete Scazzaro. We want all of you to read it because we all have a responsibility to be proactive when it comes to caring for our emotional health, and we believe that that is immediately tied to and connected to our relationship with Christ. And so for the rest of our conversation, we're going to talk through some practices, some rhythms that you and I need to incorporate in our life in order to be emotionally healthy. These principles are Sabbath and a daily office. And here is what Pete, the author of our book, had to say about these practices. He said, Sabbath and daily office are groundbreaking countercultural acts against Western culture. They are powerful declarations about God, ourselves, our relationships, our beliefs, and our values. 
He refers to Sabbath and daily office as countercultural because they are not popular. If we measure our lives by the world's definition of success, what we are about to talk about would deem you very unsuccessful. But our goal as followers of Christ is to follow the example that was laid out for us and to have God at the center of everything that we do. So what are these concepts? Sabbath and a daily office. Here's how Pete defines them in his book. Sabbath is a Hebrew word. The word is Shabbat, and it means to stop. It means to cease working. It means to rest. It means to just allow ourselves to accept this gift of stopping. A Sabbath is typically practiced in a 24-hour period, but it's not only about what happens in that 24-hour period. It is also just as much about how that 24-hour period overflows and spills out into the rest of our week. The second practice is daily office, and it is the rhythm of turning to God to simply be with him. It's different than what we've learned about daily devotional time or quiet time, because this doesn't just happen once a day. It's a practice and a principle of finding ways to connect with God constantly, consistently, all throughout our day, and just allowing that to become a part of who we are every minute of every single day. Today, we're going to focus the rest of our time on Sabbath. Next week, we're going to focus on daily office and unpacking that together. So let's talk about Sabbath. To be clear, we're not claiming that Pete came up with Sabbath. As you might be thinking, Sabbath is something that is talked about in Scripture. It's taught throughout the Bible. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and many of you probably already knew that. It is the fourth of our Ten Commandments that were given in the book of Exodus. But did you know that it's the longest of the Ten Commandments? There is more detail and extra words and information provided in our list of Ten Commandments about the Sabbath than any of the rest of the commandments. Let's read these together. Just be reminded and refreshed of these commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Here's our big one. Look how long this is. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Right here, well, let's read the rest of our commandments. Actually, we've got five more. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. Our fourth commandment, right here in scripture, amidst language and words about murdering and committing adultery and lying and stealing, is a commandment to rest. And it's a commandment, but it's also a gift. And it's a gift that far too many of us have not been willing to receive and truly live out in our lives. So what would this look like? Well, I'm not giving you permission to be lazy, so don't tune me out right now and say, well, they said on Sunday to just sleep for a day, so that's what I'm going to go do. There is no example in Scripture where Jesus said, well, that was a really hard day. I think I'll just sleep for the next 24 hours. Sabbath does not give you permission for inactivity or for laziness, and we're going to talk through specifically what should be included in this day. Sabbath is not about us and what we get out of it. Sabbath is about slowing down long enough to allow God 
to transform our lives. So one of the first questions that you're going to have to think through is when you might be able to fit this into your lives. Because we just talked about how busy and overscheduled our lives are, and now I'm suggesting that you add something in that's going to require 24 hours of your day. I'm not suggesting that you add this on top of what you're already doing. We're suggesting that you restructure your life in a way that sends a very clear message to yourself and to God that he is at the center of everything that you do. So I want to challenge you to think about what 24-hour period in your week might make the most sense. Some of you are immediately thinking that you don't have that time. What, would, what, what 24-hour period in your week is unlike the rest of your week? A lot of traditions and denominations and historical teachings on Sabbath will say that Sabbath is on Sunday. But some of you work on the weekend. Some of you join us online on Sundays from work. So we realize that sometimes you hear this concept of Sabbath being on a Sunday and you immediately think that it disqualifies you from practicing it. Can I challenge you? Can I invite you to a chance to think outside the box and just fit it into a time of your week that makes the most sense? Since the beginning of this year, I have been working very intentionally to try to carve out this Sabbath time in my life, and mine's a little non-traditional. It kind of looks like Sundays at 1 to Mondays at 1, because Monday is my day off, and I have worked pretty hard over the last year to protect this time, uh, more so than I have before. It doesn't mean I figured it all out. It doesn't mean that I have perfected it. But I am much less likely to schedule meetings and appointments and errands during this time period. I am much less likely to keep my phone attached to me at all times, responding to everything the second that it comes in. It's just about giving yourself a little more breathing room than perhaps you're designing your life to find right now. So maybe you're already thinking about what time of the week, what day of the week might work best for you. And you're wondering what you're going to do with that time. Because some of you want to decide what we're going to ask you to do before you just decide to carve out this time, right? So we're going to talk through four specific parts of a Sabbath or consider it four investments of your time that a Sabbath day should include. The first of these is simply the word stop. That is what this word means is to stop. What would it look like for you to just stop. Some of you are getting uncomfortable just hearing that word because it's just not something that we have trained our minds to do. But here's a harsh reality and a harsh truth that some of you are going to be offended by because I'm going to step on your toes. I'm actually stepping on my own toes for the record. You are not supposed to be accessible to all people 100% of the time. You're just not. You have limits. We already talked about what happened when Elijah didn't have limits. You need to have limits in your life, which means you need to face this reality that on your Sabbath day, you might need to just not be accessible to all people 100% of the time. Now, this is very, very hard for me. It's not a mistake that I said, you don't need to be accessible to all people 100% of the time because it's okay if I am. But that is not the case, and that is not what God wants us for, for our lives. He wants us to have very clear boundaries that protect us, that give us this chance to stop and spend time with him so that he can refill us. The most important thing that happens in our lives when we stop is that we remember that the world continues on just fine without us, and that can be pretty humbling. Because some of us feel like we can't be off the grid for a while because we're just sure everything's going to fall apart. But every time we practice that, 
We give God the opportunity to remind us that he is the one who's sovereign in our lives. He is the one who's on the throne. He is the one who's got it all figured out and things are going to function just fine without us for a little bit of time. Stopping is a gift and our emotional health can improve when we learn to just stop doing and just be with God. So the first thing we have to do on our Sabbath is to stop. The second part or investment of our time on a Sabbath day is to rest. And rest is another gift from God that many of us are not willing to accept. But in Genesis chapter 2, here's what we read. It says, On the seventh day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. We have the opportunity to rest. And because we've stopped the chaos and we've stopped some of the busyness and we've stopped allowing ourselves to be available at all times, we have some time to rest. Here are some things that you could consider resting from. Consider resting from work from hurriedness, multitasking, competitiveness, worry, decision-making, catching up on errands, talking, and technology. Some of you are wondering what in the world is left if all of those things stopped. But the answer is rest. And the beauty of rest, the gift of rest that we've each been given is what we get to rest in. It's not necessarily what we're resting from. It's what we get to rest in because we get to rest in the goodness of God. We get to rest in the peace and the hope and the faithfulness of his presence in our lives. But we don't take time to acknowledge and to notice what we're resting in because we can't rest from these things. We don't give ourselves permission to do that. It's because part of what we have to rest from is all the craziness and it makes us feel like we're doing nothing which feels extremely unproductive. But when we accomplish nothing, God still loves us. And what we have determined to be nothing is actually quite important in God's eyes. Simply existing in the spaces and places where God has us is all that he's asking of us on our Sabbath day. Now, to be clear, no one is suggesting that you are ignoring your responsibilities or there's an emergency and you're like, well, not my problem. I'm with God today. That's not what we're suggesting. We're suggesting that you put up boundaries. You have conversations with people to show them and to tell them that you're trying to carve out this time for God. It might be a really awkward conversation to have because in a culture that is obsessed with climbing the ladder of success and not thinking about anything else, it's a countercultural way of living. But what are the boundaries that you need to put in place? What are the conversations that you need to have so that you can stop and rest? Once we've reached a point where we've been able to stop and rest, the third part of our Sabbath, the fun part, is delight. And many of you are relieved to know that joy is allowed to be a part of your Sabbath day. Delight is exactly what God experienced after he created the world. He took a moment to step back and he proclaimed that it was very good. And he's asking us to have the exact same response to the good that we see in the world that God has created for each and every one of us. What are the things in your life that you're not stopping, finding rest, and noticing in your life? Those are the things that we find great delight in. A couple of weeks ago, my son, Ryland, he is four, and he is, uh, was learning about creation in preschool. And uh, we leave home at the same time of day when we 
are able to reach that, and I'm not running late and running around like a crazy person. We leave home at the same time of day, every single day, and all of a sudden, Ryland took this very sudden obsession with the sky. And every day, for like two weeks, he was like, Mom, look at the sky, look at the sun, look at the colors, it's so pretty. Will you take a picture? Will you take a picture? And if I'm honest, I was like really annoyed. Because I am running late, because that's who I am as a person, something I'm working on in 2021. I am always rushed. I am always focused on where I'm trying to get and where I have to get after I get there and all the things. And here he is demanding that I take a picture, but because he rules my life more often than I want to admit, I always took the picture. I waited till I was at a stop sign or a stoplight, and I safely took a really blurry picture of the sky or the sun, whatever it was that he wanted a picture of. I have some of these pictures to share with you. This is just a sampling of the pictures of the sky on my phone that he's never asked to see again, for the record. But I've got them in case six months from now, he's like, hey, where's that picture? Because that's what's going to happen. But here's the crazy part, and here's what happened. After a couple weeks of me being annoyed by this, I actually started noticing how cool the sun was and how pretty the sky was when we left home. And I even at that point tried to say to my four-year-old, buddy, look at the sky, you were right. He's over it by this point, right? Because he's moved on to something else. So I get the eye roll that requires his whole head rolling, like, Mom, I've been trying to tell you that, and I'm, I'm over it. It's almost as if I convince myself that the sky hasn't been there for the last 36 years of my life, as if the sky was suddenly so beautiful at 7.45 in the morning and never had been before. But the reality of that is that I had never slowed down long enough to actually appreciate and find delight in the beauty of God that was all around me. And I wonder what comes to mind when you think about that. What are the things that you are consistently missing out on simply because we're too rushed and too focused on what we're trying to do next? That is what God wants us to experience on our Sabbath when it comes to delighting in his creation What do you need to find Sabbath delight in? I hope that you could take a moment this week and make a list of the things in God's creation that bring you joy, that remind you of how good God is in your life. These are the things that we're supposed to be doing on our Sabbath. So I want to share with you a short list of things that have worked for me over the last couple of years. Maybe these are some places where you can start, just some suggestions, but again, make your own list. Sabbath delight is found by the first one here, moving your body. Um, My Monday workout, the Sabbath day that I told you I have, is the best workout of my week. And I think it's because I have carved out time and I know that I don't have 12 other things I'm trying to get to. I'm not worried about who's texting me. I am just focused on caring for my body because this is the only body that God is going to give me and I need to take good care of it. But it's the workout that I consistently burn the most calories in. I sweat more. I look forward to it. I don't want it to end and I never miss a Monday workout. Maybe a Sabbath for you, finding delight in the fact that our bodies can do pretty cool things. Go on a hike, run a marathon, train for something that you didn't think you could do, and recognize that it's because of God's goodness in your life that that is possible at all. The next one, setting boundaries. We've talked about this a little bit. Some people find great delight in setting boundaries, and I am learning to find delight in setting boundaries because I already told you I want to be accessible 100% of the time. But the reality is that if I continue to live my life in such a way where I am accessible to all people 100% of the time, I will end up no differently than Elijah did. And I will reach a point of emotional unhealth where I wonder where God is. 
But because I can set boundaries and I'm learning to do that, I know that it helps me be more effective the rest of the week. It helps me become a better wife, a better mom, a better friend, and a better pastor because I have stopped and I've told God by my actions and by the boundaries I'm willing to create that he is at the center of everything that I am trying to do. But again, I'm human and I will fail. So just saying, I haven't figured it out perfectly. A couple more things to find Sabbath delight in. Nourishing our bodies with good food. God has blessed our world with delicious food, and he wants us to enjoy good food, especially when we enjoy it with people who we love. Enjoying God's creation all around us. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to notice something you simply have not noticed before. Appreciating the people in our lives. When we slow down long enough, we realize who those people are, and we have the time that we need to carve out to appreciate them. Learning a new skill, gaining new knowledge. God wants us to be humans who desire to understand his world and to learn how to bless his world in different ways. And so that is a way to practice Sabbath delight. I hope that you're thinking of your own list. What are the things that bring you joy? What are the things that help you live in the way that God intended you to? And how can you add some of those things into your Sabbath on a regular, consistent rhythm to show God that he is at the center of everything that you do. These first three parts of a Sabbath, stop, rest, and delight. To be honest, those are things that like you could do without it truly becoming a biblical Sabbath. But I want to be clear that part four is perhaps the most important part of what happens on your Sabbath day. And the word is simply to contemplate. To contemplate means to spend extended amounts of time with God. For you, this might look like worshiping God through music, through prayer, through journaling, silence, solitude, centering. The list goes on and on. Many of us have learned these to be called spiritual disciplines. These are the ways that we connect with God most intimately. There is no right or wrong way to contemplate on God's word. You just try something and you keep trying different things until one of them sticks. And if we're honest, if it doesn't feel at least a little uncomfortable when you first try it, you're probably in the minority because it can be hard to find what works for you. But again, there's no right way or wrong way to do it. You don't have to do it the way that your friend does it or your neighbor does it. It doesn't have to be at a certain time of day. You find a way that helps you worship God and recognize his goodness in your life and you just go and stick with it and do it as often as you can. In a lot of ways, this fourth part of contemplate is an extension of delight. So maybe for you, it's simply thinking about something that you find great delight in and finding a way to tell God that, to explain to him that the sky is so beautiful and I'm so thankful for this beautiful gift and the reminder that we have every single day that you are creating beautiful things around us all the time. It could be as simple as that. It's just recognizing what God has given you and stopping to take a moment to say it right then when it happens. Different things are gonna work for you in different seasons of your life. I used to love... Uh, my prayer time being right before I went to bed, but then I had kids, and as soon as I sat down or laid down, I was asleep, and that just wasn't going to work anymore. So in different seasons of your life, you are going to find that different practices and rhythms will work more effectively. So think outside of the box. Uh, We're excited that next week we're actually going to spend pretty much our whole service talking about this contemplative rhythms idea And it's not just to give you a great worship service, which it will be, but it's to give you the skills and the tools that you need that you can carry into your Sabbath day and carry into every single day outside of that. Every time we practice these spiritual disciplines, we have the opportunity to bring heaven 
to earth. Because that's what we get to do one day when we're in heaven. That's what we'll be doing all day long is worshiping God and praising him and thanking him for his goodness in our lives. And we have the opportunity and the gift to do that every time we carve out time in our lives to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate on God's goodness in our lives. What would our lives look like if we're able to figure this out? Here are some simple benefits of keeping a biblical Sabbath. We're reminded that our worth isn't based on what we produce. We have more time to connect with people who fill us up. We experience a sense of calm the other six days of the week. We become more dependent on God and the everyday things. I think we could all agree that those are things we all could use more of in our lives. Our emotional health is dependent on our ability to recognize God's presence in our lives and to orient everything we do, keeping him at the center of it. If we measure our lives by the world's standards of success, a world obsessed with climbing the ladder and reaching only achievement, we will fail because you will have to say no to some really good things in your life. But if we're able to measure our lives by God's standard of success, the only standard and metric that matters, we will become made in his image more. And that is all he's asking for us, of us. This gift of rest is a gift. And we have to start embracing this gift that Jesus is offering to each and every one of us today. Will you pray with me? God, you've given us this gift of Sabbath. You've given us this opportunity to carve out time in our lives to simply be with you, not to get something from you, but just to be with you, to thank you, to praise you, to acknowledge your presence and your goodness in our lives. God, challenge us, stretch us, grow us, enable us to make this commitment today, to orient our lives in such a way that there's no question as to what is at the very center of our focus, the very center of every single commitment that we make. And God, our emotional health and our mental health will be made whole again from a spiritual perspective when we put you first above all else. Help us remember this truth today and this gift that you've given us of rest. It's in your name that we pray.